Much that was once played is lost, for none now roll who remember it. It began with the printing of the One Ring Tabletop RPG. Supplements were given to the Game Masters, all-knowing and wisest among all beings. Adventures were handed to the Tolkienites, great writers and fans of the books. And promise of expansions were gifted to the players, who above all else, desire chaos. For within this game was bound the creativity and will to govern each table. But they were all of them left waiting, for a second edition was never made. And some things that should not have been neglected were paused. History became legend, legend became meme, and for three and a half thousand days the One Ring RPG passed out of most knowledge. Until, when chance came, it ensnared a new publisher. Rumor grew of an alliance in the north, whispers of a partnership. And the One Ring RPG perceived that the time for its second edition had now come. In the land of Sweden, in the welcoming halls of Free League Games, plans for the second edition were forged not in secret, but on Kickstarter for all to see. And it was funded in four minutes and beat all of its initial stretch goals in the first hour. Well, hello there, terrible warriors, and welcome to a very special Meet the Makers. We haven't done one of those in a while. Happening right now, at the time that this podcast is released, is the One Ring RPG Kickstarter by Free League Games. They're partnering up for the second edition of the One Ring RPG, the only officially licensed Lord of the Rings RPG. And I got a very wonderful opportunity to speak to legendary game designer Francesco Nepitello, the co-creator of the One Ring RPG and also behind the War of the Ring board game. And Francesco was able to take a little bit of time away from his very busy day to be able to sit down and talk to us about the One Ring in the midst of the Kickstarter campaign as it's happening. And it was interesting, as I was getting ready to talk to him and I was telling friends about this upcoming interview and about this Kickstarter and about the One Ring, Quite a lot of them were surprised when I said that this was the second edition of The One Ring. They weren't even aware that there was a first edition that had come out in 2011. So I opened my conversation up with Francesco to ask him about that. Was he surprised to find so many people discovering The One Ring for the first time, even though this is supposedly the second time around? Even if we already had a first edition that was out for for quite a few years now and spawning multiple supplements and even a parallel line using D&D 5e rules, is that for some reasons we were quite sure that the popularity of the game just scratched the surface, didn't really went beyond uh, a certain level of, of recognizability. We tried to understand what happened, why it was the case, but 
eventually we decided that Kickstarter in the first place was not very much about funding the game, but because we, we were sure that we would be selling the game anyway, even if it was on a regular pre-order. But what we wanted to do with Kickstarter was to, you know, uh, use the, the hype machine that Kickstarter is to, to get uh, more attention uh, towards the game. And, and it seems that uh, what you tell me, it's exactly the case that uh, people that is coming to the game now never heard of it before. Uh, there might be multiple reasons. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mentioned the one ring to a friend over the weekend and it was just like this all caps response of like, how soon? When can we start playing this? This is amazing. And, and you mentioned the hype <laughs> machine. I just clicked over to that Kickstarter page. We still got 16 days to go. And I mean, it's sitting at 1.2 million dollars Canadian right now. Uh and every time I talk, <laughs> yes. it picks up another thousand dollars uh every couple of seconds. So I guess the hype machine is working. Yeah, exactly. Now that as we were talking in this exact moment, it crossed the eight hundred thousand euros uh line. That's phenomenal. So for, for us here in Europe, it's something that okay. <laughs> and that's, it's such a good big. time. I felt like during the pandemic, everyone has just, there, it's never been a better time to sit down and watch those extended edition movies and, <laughs> and dive back <laughs> into Tolkien. Like everything's kind of had to slow down just a little bit. We're a little bit more bored. We've got a little bit more time sitting at home. And uh, so many, I mean, myself included, uh, sat down and just went right back to Lord of the Rings all over again. And then this game just comes out. Uh, <laughs> technically for the second time, but for many of us the first time, and it just seems like it's just so well-timed. Yeah, I think that also we all have a physical need for for interaction, and and Kickstarter sits in, in a, such a privileged position where uh, a campaign like this one uh, is like, uh, getting together with with like-minded people, uh, because uh, I see from the comments that in even the, the the negative ones, even people that is complaining about this or that thing, are happy to be engaged uh, with other people uh, with the same interest, because we we cannot go to the club and 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 meet people and play face to face and stuff like that. So Kickstarter is not simply a pre-order; it's something that gives you uh, a sort of a social experience that makes it all more all the more worthwhile uh, you you really are a part of making this thing happen yeah we're really we're really starving we're really hungry for more community right now yeah and and, and having exactly. having any moment there where we can have that kind of connection and and to just be able to indulge in both a love of a shared hobby and also a love of a shared world like like Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Yes. Francesco, I did want to talk a bit because technically this series that you and I are talking on is called Meet the Makers. And so I'd like to get mm-hmm. to know you as well. Uh, I understand <laughs> you've you've been part of the One Ring for for you know for, since its beginning and 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 through its iterations and now into its second edition with Free League. But uh, what was it for you that brought you to tabletop role playing in the first place, and and then later as a designer of these games? Uh, what hooked you? Um, I was lucky to to grow up in a family with where we're three brothers, and we always played together. 
we were also lucky to have a small garden. I live in Venice, so uh, I don't know if you visited the city, but uh, houses are, are usually small. Uh, having a garden is very much of a luxury. Uh, even if probably if you saw the garden I'm talking about, you will not consider it a garden because it's very small. But when you're young, when you're when you're just a kid, everything looks so much bigger. So, so it was our playground. We played all sorts of games, and being three boys, we also played a lot of board games and war games. So I came to role playing games very early on. We're talking about the early years of the eighties. Uh, when D and D was really, um, you know, blossoming as, mm-hmm. as a as a type of of a hobby, and we were already playing similar stuff because we came from mm, fantasy and science fiction uh, war games. We were very keen in playing that type of thing. Uh, so I have a an older brother, and he was the rules lawyer all the time. He invented the games when when I was. Mm, smaller when I was about eight, 10 years old. And so we always had this idea that games were supposed to be customized, were supposed to be changed to, to suit your tastes, you know, or even to be invented from, from the ground up because we, we, for example, were playing games using toy soldiers or plastic animals uh, using rules that we devised. So uh, it was very much uh, of, a, of a sort of a normal, organic progression to to start inventing games and thinking about doing uh, something about it from a professional point of view and 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 that's when luck uh, had another part because of all places in Venice uh, lived uh, one of the most prolific game designers ever Alex Randolph is a, was a board game designer that designed more than 400 titles uh, and he's considered possibly the one to invent the profession of game designer uh, the, to, to be someone who just lives off designing games uh, he was originally from Texas and lived then all over the world lived in Japan and then ended up living in Venice for more than 30 years so uh, a small community grew up around Alex and around uh, a Go club and then a chess club and then a, a backgammon club. And I met uh, him and the people around uh, his group uh, when uh, they started being interested in role-playing games too. Uh, it was a time when tournaments for D&D, uh, the original D&D, were organized and so I got in contact with them together with Marco Maggi, my co-designer that we uh, met in, in secondary school. So it's, we, we've been working together since uh, almost more than 30 years now. Wow. So, yeah. And so it was a passion that we always had, a passion that was more than just a hobby, that was something that we were really interested in. And this led us to start working with uh, a studio that, of course, that uh, revolved around Alex Randolph that was called Studio Jockey. It was probably one of the few uh, professional game design studios that existed at the time. They, they, they were dealing with all types of games, from card games and stuff for uh, newspapers, you know, like crosswords, crosswords and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I started working with them to 
actually present their games at the uh, Nuremberg Game Fair, uh, one of the uh, most important game fairs for board games, especially in the world. And so uh, I started traveling with them to Germany to present their games. And then having given them this additional skill set in the studio, uh, so being proficient with role-playing games, they decided to try and propose a role-playing game to a big company, to a big publisher in Italy. And and that was it, because in 1993, we uh, signed our first contract for a professional game, and that was Lex Arcana, that, as we speak in other coincidence, is just debuting its second Kickstarter for a couple of supplements. So uh, as we're talking, it just started. Uh, it just went online. Oh, congratulations. Uh, in its second edition that happened, yeah, in its second edition that happened 25 years later, the first edition. Oh, and so. I thought that the One Ring was a long story because I understand the One <laughs> Ring, its second edition has been something that has been in production hell for almost a decade. And I know you've been trying to get this started off. I've been reading about your the adventure with the with the Moria campaign, and mm-hmm. and now finally you found this home with Free League. Uh, how how did that come to be? Because we we've loved Free League. I personally love uh, the their production quality. They, they easily put out books that are above and beyond what everyone else is looking. So to see Lord of the Rings, which aesthetically also has that quality to it when it comes to the fantasy genre to be partnered. It just felt like when, when this was announced, it was like, oh, this is, this is perfect. This is it's such a good match. <laughs> How did that happen? Because it just seems so, I'm just so happy it did. <laughs> well, I, I was very much in your position when I was uh, considering uh, the, the fate for, for the Wandering Second Edition because I was a fan. Of, of Free League. I was playing Forbidden Lands. I was collecting most of their stuff, like uh, Tales from the Loop. Uh, so I was, as you are, in love with everything connected to Free Right League. down to the cardstock that they choose, the paper that they put into the books. It's just as, as a tactile experience. Yeah, and and from a, and also from a designer point of view, they're, they're, they're attempting different things. They're making games that are actually done to be played they're not they're not simply uh you know published for to be sold as a sort of a um, collector thing they're actually games done for the gamer yeah there's a very <laughs> yeah in the same way that there's a tactile experience with the book there's a tactile experience in the story the way free league or the way forbidden lands handles its health through statistics losing it and and having yes. the dice pool the, the stress die in alien to help amplify the horror of that game the way tales in the loop handles mysteries and unfolding those riddles there are mechanics in the game but they 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 corral you or draw you into thinking about the world that you're playing in that really helps tell those stories yeah that's some that's exactly what we thought and that's why we were attracted to the company in the first place because uh, i mean you know uh, between like Sarkana that I told you about 25 years ago mm-hmm. and, and the one ring today uh, and the one ring back when it was first published in 2011, me and Marco, we designed mainly board games because the market at the time shifted uh, in the mid-90s, late-90s. It was not that interesting to work 
as uh, role-playing games. Yeah, there's no money in tabletop. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So there was more money in tabletop. We were anyway gamers. We were interested in board games anyway, so we went there. And I don't know if you know it, but our best-selling design to this time is War of the Ring, that is a big, big strategy game. Uh, on the Lord of the Rings, again, that was published first in 2004, and that's been on the market for 16 years and still selling very well. But, uh, you know, with board games, you learn something. The rules are the game, because for board games, it's 100% sure, but it should be also for role-playing games. You cannot simply attach any type of rules to a role-playing game and just pretend it's fine. Uh, there is a... There is, a difference between a game that is built around a game mechanic and something that is simply tacked on. So what, when we came back to role-playing games in 2011 to start working on the One Ring, what we knew, uh, what we already internalized by working in board games was that what the experience of the game will be dictated by the gameplay experience. It's not that anything goes because it's the Lord of the Rings and people will buy it anyway. No, if you want the game to stay on the market, to be uh, to, to see actual play for a long time, you are going to give them something different. And that's why we spent a long time in developing the mechanics for, for the One Ring and studying the, the, the books. We were already proficient because, of course, we made already games on the Lord of the Rings, like War of the Ring. But, uh, so we were very much in deep uh, in that <laughs> scholarship, so sure. to speak. It, it does sound interesting because board games, they yeah, they they have a victory condition to them. There's, it's it, it's much more of a of a game than than tabletop RPGs. Which, from your days, you're mentioning talking about playing Dungeons and Dragons in the '80s and doing tournaments. That was a time where D and D was very much also a game where you were up against <laughs> the dungeon master. You had a challenge to overcome. But that is just one way of playing RPGs. And in the, especially in the past decade, I've seen a real shift towards collaborative storytelling and sitting around and being part of the world building and and being able to inhabit these characters and and, and get to experience these stories. And that's that's very different from a board game experience. A lot of these can create those stories, but I don't think at its core that's the intention of, of many of those board games compared to coming and playing a tabletop RPG. And you you were mentioning in, in one of your, in your updates uh, about the previous versions of, of the One Ring and the new version being worked on now of you working out what you called the fiddly bits of, of the One Ring and, 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 helping to streamline that experience. And is, is, is that a little bit what we're talking about right now, about that, that mechanic game experience with the One Ring? Yes. Uh, just let me go a little bit back on what you said about the difference between board games and role-playing games, but I, I go to the point that you are raising now. Because I've never been uh, interested in games for the sake of winning them. Uh, uh, that's. I think this comes from my experience as a role player first, and then a board gamer second. So, and also I come from board games like war games that are mainly on uh, aimed at reconstructing an historical event, not simply at putting you putting you and your opponent on even ground and see who wins. So, for me, the, the gaming experience is always that. 
an experience. You, you, I want to feel something when I play the game. I just, I don't want it to be a struggle of you know my mind against yours to see who's the best tactician and stuff like that. I want to 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 live the experience of the game. So, for example, to go back to one of our designs, War of the Ring. War of the Ring is a big and involving game that can last for hours. Depends on how much you are uh, proficient with that, uh, but. Uh, how well you know the game and, and the rules and so on, but uh, it takes you on a trip to Middle Earth. So a lot of players are saying that, yeah, I'm playing a game and if I win or lose, it doesn't matter uh, because I am living an alternate version of the books anyway, uh, regardless of me winning or not. So I came to to, to role-playing games with, with that in mind. I want to give you an experience through the rules not simply because you come already with a baggage of loving Middle Earth or the Lord of the Rings. So, yeah, I think coming back to why I mentioned fiddliness and stuff, because I think that fiddliness in general with every type of game design is the obstacle that uh, prevents you as a player to really profit at the maximum level of the experience of the game. Uh, because if you think too much about rules, because you for, you keep forgetting something, that's the fiddliness of a game. If I still I keep forgetting to apply a modifier to some role because it doesn't feel natural to me, you have that's to open fiddle- up the book and flip to page one fifty six to exactly. find out how grappling handles and 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 now you're not you're not doing the story anymore. You're spending the next twenty minutes negotiating the the rules. And, exactly, and, and, the game and that stopped. takes you away. Yeah, takes you away from feeling the game and, and the storytelling experience, and and that's it. That kills the game. Kills the, the your you know. What it breaks the immersion. Out. It draws you out. Mm-hmm. It it it, yep. it it brings your heartbeat back down to a resting state, and you lose the moment. Yeah, that, that that's absolutely true, and that's why. Um, I, I don't agree with with uh, the uh, conclusion that somebody comes to when they. St- say that rules in a role-playing game should disappear. Uh, they should disappear, but it doesn't mean they're not there. Uh, the, the rules need to be there to bring you to, to a place uh, and then eventually disappear, but you cannot simply play any role-playing game as it was the same role-playing game. Uh, so uh, what we did way back in first edition and we tried to, to, to improve with second edition is this, is to give you the, the um, mechanics that make you feel that you're playing the One Ring and you're, and you're not playing another game, but without uh, making, if, making, making you feel like there are obstacles between you and the enjoyment of the game. That's the, the, the polishing uh, that we did uh, in the last period of time. As we're talking about the One Ring now, and we're, we've talked now about the mechanics and how to uplift the story, what are some of those core principles that make a Lord of the Rings RPG a Lord of the Rings RPG? What are some of those uh, <laughs> bits of that story and that experience that you feel that the, the mechanics and the rules you've been massaging are helping to, to amplify? I, I did notice one of the things mentioned in the Kickstarter details was uh, a hope mechanic. And and it got me. I know listeners of, of our podcast were were talking on our Discord channel of their hope of having something about corruption or the way darkness is is dealt with in Lord of the Rings. Like 
thinking of someone like Gollum and how the ring corrupted him over time or 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 the the king of Rohan and 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 those 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 stories where that that darkness kind of creeps in through the edges and eventually takes over is that what I'm reading when I see the hope mechanic <laughs> yes of course that's one of the various elements that tell you that you're playing uh, a, a role-playing game on the Lord of the Rings and not on something else. And this comes from a huge work that we did, a sort of groundwork that uh, can be, if you want, seen as a similar process that Tolkien himself, without sounding presumptuous, uh, did with the books. The, the, the author started from language and language is very much the fundament foundation of the whole uh, lord of the rings books and and the hobbit and this was done apart from his love of language and whatever and so but in general what makes the lord of the rings different from another fantasy book is that it feels real and it feels real because it, it is coherent and the names are all coherent with one another and the language sounds right uh, and so that's a sort of a level of detail that if you want can be considered almost invisible but it's actually there you don't realize it but it makes the the whole thing feel real so what we did with the, with the game was to uh, examine and use words to create, for example, the different characteristics of the uh, of the characters in the game, to be completely coherent with with Tolkien's vocabulary. So there are uh, all the names of the skills, the different abilities. Everything is derived from mm -hmm. the stories. Ju I can just make an example that the fan of the game know, but uh, the 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 main uh, attributes of your characters are strength, heart, and wits. Uh, so basically, physical proficiency and your personality and, and strength of strength of character and uh, intelligence and uh, stuff like that. So three aspects. They come from a sentence by Gandalf that, when talking to Frodo, uh, he said he says, "On your adventure, you will need all your strength, heart, and wits to succeed." And and that can be applied to basically every word in the in the supplement in the core rules uh, and what i find really satisfactory from my point of view is that when people play the game and then they go back to the stories they read the book they recognize the words that the words in a different context because they were uh, they were playing the books so when when they play the game and they hear words like valor and wisdom and hope and strength, heart, and wits, and riddle all the all the skills names that we have there. They are co continuously repeated in the books themselves. So you, in a sort of in a way, you visualize uh, the books as if you were playing them after having played the One Ring. So that's one of the things that I think. Uh, I mean, it was very difficult to pull off, of course, because it was a very deep pro thing to accomplish also if you take into consideration that I am not a native English speaker so <laughs> and the game and the game is written in English and and the other things well going more into the the, the specific mechanics of the game if you want uh, uh, the one ring revolves around three main pillars 
and and these are combat journeys and council. Uh, it was interesting to see that uh, the D and D went uh, went on talking about some uh, pillars of adventure in in a. In, a, in an edition of D&D that came after the One Ring. I don't know yeah, if it's taken from there. It made me think they, they do also call it pillars, and I believe their pillars are exploration, social, and, and combat. And uh, uh, you also mentioned with favored and ill-favored roles predate the advantage and disadvantage roles by quite a while in Dungeons & Dragons. Another feather yeah, yeah, in their it, cap. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't mean... I mean, I've been told that possibly... Uh, I've been told by someone of the collaborators of the previous publisher that uh, knew, I think, Mike Merrill's possibly from, from D&D, uh, uh, that had the idea of using that in D&D. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't it, be surprised. It's hard in, to prove. I Sometimes mean, a good idea is just a good idea. And the telephone was invented at the same time five different places around the world. But, and, but in any case, yeah. But in any case, there's no point nor an interest in finding mm -hmm. who did it first because when you design a game you're always borrowing stuff from other games of course so it's and it's, it's just nice to see that natural. these are good ideas and 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 if we're all using these good ideas i think we're all just playing better games absolutely yeah, we have to learn from other experiences. Of course, there is always that sense of irony that Dungeons and Dragons from its inception was inspired by places like Lord <laughs> of the Rings and now Lord sure. of the Rings having a role-playing game. It does feel like one big circle that we're all going yes. there and back again <laughs> to take another yeah, absolutely. there. Uh, Francesco, I really want to thank you for the time you spent with me. It, it wasn't enough. There's so much more I would want to, to, to dive <laughs> into it, but I am wishing you all the best with this Kickstarter. At the time you and I are talking, you're we're right in the middle of it, uh, right in the smack middle. And uh, what I mentioned when we started, uh, I think it's, it's gone up another like $5,000 uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then another 2000 just ticked in. Uh, so if there's a chance for you to follow along, listener, uh, the, the link to the Kickstarter is in the show notes of this, of this interview uh, where you can join in and, and, uh, and join me in playing the One Ring when it comes out, uh, hopefully later this year or early 2022. Francesco, is there any parting words you have of, of what we can look forward to uh, as the One Ring transitions from Kickstarter to physical second edition book in our hands. What, what can we look forward to? And, and, where, and where should we follow up uh, beyond just Kickstarter to stay in touch with, with you and, and, and with the work that you're involved in? Well, you can, of course, you can follow the company on, on their forums. They have a dedicated forum for, for the One Ring that uh, we also have a dedicated um, number of followers that are, are following us since first edition and and we're crossing their fingers that something like this happened uh, at some point because of course there were multiple delays and, and problems that luckily finally uh, as you said have been very well overcome but uh, yeah the part i think that the parting words that mostly everyone that knows about the one ring wants to hear is that Moria is coming, so <laughs> uh, that and it's and it's not like before, like too far away. It's being designed, so uh, one of the things that will happen is a, a big supplement on Moria coming from Gareth Anran, who is a beloved writer, uh, already known by the, the by the fans of the Ring. 
That's I'm very excited. There is a in the Kickstarter page. There is a letter from Balin <laughs> to Bilbo, encouraging or Bilbo to Balin, uh, declining his his invitation to join him on retaking Moria, <laughs> and uh, and instead perhaps there are some young hobbits that are living in the Shire that would like to take up on that adventure instead, <laughs> and uh, it's setting those those early bits. And I, I'm very as much as I'm looking forward to the game, I am just as much looking forward to the book and the lore and the writing and the art that's going to be included into it. Um, it's going to be really fun to to get to return to Middle Earth and also to arrive in it for the first time in in, in such a way. Uh, Francesco, uh, best of wishes in the next sixteen days of the Kickstarter, and and I hope we get to speak again soon uh, as as the One Ring continues to develop. Thank you, Justin. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Francesco Nepotello for spending time with me to talk about the One Ring RPG. The Kickstarter is happening right now, so check the show notes. There's a link to their page, and you can go check it out and see that pretty collector edition book they've got, little gold fleck, and can you tell I've already backed it myself? And of course, special thanks to Freely Games for helping to connect us to be able to have this conversation in the first place. Really appreciate it. To stay up to date with the Terrible Warriors, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Dice Warriors or, hey, check out TerribleWarriors.com. I've done a little bit of work to the site. I spruced it up, repainted the walls. How do you like the place? I hope I keep it clean for you. We've also got a Discord channel where you can come and join us and hang out. We are right now ranting about the Yakuza games and all of our predictions about WandaVision. You know, the huge. And if you like what you're hearing and you'd like us to do more... This show is only possible because of the support on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash terriblewarriors, where every month I host private games with some of our Patreon supporters, and you can join in on those games. There's still time to sign up for this month as well, where I believe we've decided we're going to give a crack at Nibiru, the RPG we covered a few episodes back on Session Zero. So why don't you come and recover some memories with us this month, and I'd love to meet you and roll some dice with you. We'll be back next week with another story or an interview or an examination. I don't know. I'm kind of making it up as I go along. Can you tell? But until that time when we all get to sit around a table and talk passionately about our various fandoms, be good to each other. Bye. Bye.